lost my golems. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Where'd they go? Well, I don't know. Uh, oh, I guess you if if you I've knew, lost them, you, you, they wouldn't be lost. Yeah. Now these are um, two large adult uh, sons that I, because I was the boss of, but now they're <laughs> both gone. Oh yeah. Yeah, they both left. I uh, I would use them though, like as like pack animals and. Just like a form of labor. Beasts of burden, I think, is a creature, is the word <laughs> I want to use. Um, they were just large, you know, they were, they were both like six foot five. Right. And they were both simpletons, and they both <laughs> did what I told them to do, but they've escaped. Now, are these employees at, at the store you work at? Yes, they were my employees. <laughs> they were my golems. And where have they gone? I don't know. Yeah. Is well, that I, why it took you so long to get here? Yes. Okay. I was on a golem hunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. One left a note, uh, <laughs> and then the other one just vanished. Uh, I think he might be dead. He walks at home in the dark, and then he just vanished, but uh, we haven't heard from him. It's been like five days. So... One left a note, but yeah. one didn't, and we're worried that the one that didn't may have gotten snatched? Yeah, someone took my golem boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want him back. Uh, I miss so, my son. <laughs> keep an eye out for Jeremy's son, listeners. The golem, he you'll know him. He's six foot five, about 300 and... 50 pounds, head like a ham. Uh, <laughs> he has glasses, I think. And I can't, I can't search for him on the internet because he has a famous last name. <laughs> uh, so all the results are just about that famous person and their project, which is the his first name. Oh, that's yeah. complicated. Yeah, it's a entire, disaster. When yeah, the entire first three pages results. of Google were just for uh, a show by a, a popular British comedian. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, we're gonna we're gonna find him, but uh, we haven't. And you know that brings us, I think, to uh, the fifth week of fright. Yes, the most frightening of weeks. Yeah, the week of. You must abandon all hope. Yes. And be abandoned by all of your your homunculi. Yes, your homunculi have had enough of the fright. They fled away. In fear. Yes. The one left a note and he wrote, uh, lose my number on it. But then he scratched <laughs> it out. But then I held it up to the light to read what it said. And I was like, okay. I, I didn't know his number. Fair enough. I only know his name. It was Kevin. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, welcome to the Raincoat Report. It is indeed the fifth week of Fright. And the 70th edition of the Raincoat Report. Oh, yes. This is our 70th anniversary. The Yeah, uh, yeah the, the 70th anniversary is the long grocery receipt anniversary. Where is it? Did you bring it? Uh, I think it might be on the table under some things. 
Okay, well, as long as it's there, I'm going to just believe that it's there. Well, that's the anniversary part of the show. All right, well, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that, that can't be it. Okay, well, instead, let's talk about a film, a pornographic film. That uh, has an element of terror involved. Where did those golems go? (laughs) Sorry, I'm a little distracted. Uh, But this week we're going to be talking about a Roberta Findlay masterpiece. A Woman's Torment. Yes. Starring Roberta Findlay. Uh, not starring Roberta Finley. <laughs> kind of. We have uh, Tara Chung, Jennifer Jordan. Is uh, Tara Chung related to Chungus, the big fat Bugs Bunny? Yes. Okay. I'm certain. All right. Otherwise, they wouldn't share names like that. Yeah. We have Jeffrey Hurstback. Jeffrey Hurstback? Yes, Jeffrey Hurstback. I should get my laptop out in my notes. I really... (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm frazzled. I've lost two sons. (laughs) Tell me about Jeffrey Hurst. Back. Jeffrey Hurst is back. We also have Marlene Willoughby and uh, Michael Gaunt. Excellent. An old Jake Teague. Do should I know him? Um, he is old. He is old. Uh, I guess not. <laughs> I was cool. just scrolling through to see if I had seen anything that he was in. He was in Debbie Does Dallas. Oh, good. We haven't covered that one yet, though. Nope. <laughs> Good. Well, that's... Uh, and Bowl is in there as a party guest, uncredited. I, I didn't see him. I think I might have. Okay. We'll, we'll discuss that. Yeah, we'll figure it out once we dig into my notes. Yeah. This was a few days ago, and I've seen Arbola's balls enough times that it all runs together. I don't think his balls should have been out at that party. <laughs> well, you know, it depends on the kind of party. Not the one of this film. Yeah, I guess not. It was just a regular party. People got mad when people got grabby at the party. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this film is, uh, it's our first Roberta Finlay film since episode two when we talked about The Altar of Lust. So yes. it's been a long time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's about time. There's, there's still several other ones to explore and uh i think we were overdue yeah it was time to come back and see what else she could get up to with a with a little more money and a little more uh ambition yes yes uh roberta finley of course is one of the handful of uh female exploitation and (laughs) sex film directors of the uh era there are probably several that i don't even know about but I think that Roberta Finley is one of the ones with the highest outputs. Yeah. She, uh, she started making films with her husband, Michael Finley. She continued to make films well past him 
and her splitting up and also his death. So she has a pretty long career. I didn't honestly know she was still alive, so that's cool. I just found that out. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, still kicking. She's still kicking. She hasn't made a movie since the 90s. Well, that's okay. It's After like 30 years, you can retire from making films, I suppose. Yeah. You've said your piece. You've had yeah. your say. Let the young bucks get a turn for <laughs> once. But uh, this is a production from 1977. It's a good number of years past when uh, Altar of Lust came out, which I think was 70, 71? Yeah, 71 or something. It was, it was pretty early on in the uh, hardcore boom. Right, and um, uh, this is certainly more explicit in its hardcore version. It is, and it's more of a film. Yes, it certainly is. Uh, far it's, less just random overdub voices. But it, it also has a... Uh, some bad psychiatry being practiced. It certainly does. So that's a through line that might be an actual through line for all of her films. <laughs> it, it might be. I'll we'll have to check a couple more out and make some determinations on that. Yeah, we need to uh, check out... Lurkers. Lurkers, yeah. We need to check out Lurkers again and look for the bad psychiatrist. Yeah. I'm sure there's one in there. If your child's being followed by lurkers, you're going to take him to one or two bad psychiatrists before you believe them. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, let's take a moment. Let's go back and watch lurkers, and then we'll be back to talk about a woman's torment. Okay. think we need to take a moment to explain to the audience how we watched this this week oh yeah we did it different yeah i watched this movie probably like two or three years back and watched the hardcore version mm -hmm. so with us re-watching it or me re-watching it and jeremy watching it for the first time i, never I decided yes i never saw it before I decided that I would watch the R-rated version, which I hadn't seen, and Jeremy watched the hardcore version. So, as we go through the film, Jeremy will interject Yeah. as I'm going through the R-rated version, which I imagine is the more plot-dense version. I have to uh, Because there are no so. significantly long sex scenes in it. I wrote about the sex. I don't normally write that down, because you write it down. But I wrote a little bit, so I'll tell you what happens. Okay, cool, because yeah. I don't know. All right, it's a mystery. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, one other thing I wanted to say about this film is uh, I was watching one of the special features on the uh, the Vinegar Syndrome disc. Yeah. And it was a, a, a kind of like it's just a Q&A with Roberta Finley and this guy uh, who runs a theater, and they were showing this, I guess, when they first restored it. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that Tara Chung ran off halfway through the film with the gaffer. 
<laughs> uh, so a lot of like the stuff where you don't see her face or things like that are just, is just Roberta in a wig. Oh wow! Yeah, she. Uh, it's the same wig. Apparently, the woman was bald. Oh. Yeah. Which is uh, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I don't know if she was really bald or if that just Roberta decided to say. <laughs> I could go either way. Um, That's fair. But she left behind her costume and the wig, so Roberta just got into it and finished it up. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty cool. Well, when you got a movie to finish, you got to yeah, finish it. You got to finish it. And your lead runs off with, what is a gaffer? I think that they like tape wires on the floor and stuff like that. That doesn't sound too hard. Yeah. You think I, I could be a gaffer? Uh, you probably could. I don't know if you could be a good gaffer. Why not? I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the, uh... The gaffing process. The gaffing process, really. That's fair. I said that they tape down wires. I imagine that's only a small portion of their job. The, the gaffer, because they use the tape. Yeah. Gaffer tape. Is that right? Yeah. And she ran off with him? Yeah. The guy who tapes the wires to the floor. Yes. I mean, if if she went off with the gaffer, then yes. I didn't see any wires taped to the floor. Well, you try to keep those out of the shots. Why do you even have a gaffer? Get on with this. Okay, so... <laughs> a, a woman's torment opens with uh, waves crashing on a beach, and we get our A Woman's Torment title card and credits. We see a woman building a sand castle as the credits cycle through. It looks like shit. <laughs> it does. Um, it's not one of the fancy jobs where you use a plastic uh, shell to try to make something. This is She's handmade. Just, it looks awful. <laughs> we cut to a couple in bed. They're having some sort of sex act here. A guy on top of the woman... He seems to be into it, uh, but he seems to come too early for his woman, who uh, tries to tell him to wait for her. But uh, after he finishes, she pushes him away and lashes out at him, telling him that they weren't making love. He was masturbating inside of her. Yeah, and that's mostly what I got from the scene was uh, the X-rated version, is that she pretty much just doesn't want to have sex and... Or that she wants to come first or at the same time, but he's just, you know, pounding away. Right. And when his dick pulls out, it's all red and bulbous. And <laughs> I, it scared me. I didn't get to see that in the R-rated version, unfortunately. That's a, good for you. <laughs> Though it was one of the most frightening things in the film. <laughs> also, her pussy's too tight, I think, was something that he was complaining about as well. Oh. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> she cries in bed, and he sits up and moans and then says something about, oh, the burdens of Hercules. I don't remember that. I remember him saying, you sound like a patient, and it's not attractive. Uh, yes, he does He's, say, he does that, say at that at one point. Yeah, which is not a good thing to say to your wife. <laughs> he says, I'm sorry you didn't have an orgasm, but it's not the end of the world. We'll talk about it later. He leans in to cuddle her and says that he'll make it up to her. 
He wipes her eyes and has her blow her nose on a tissue he's holding for her. <laughs> he mentions that they're late and she needs to get dressed and put her face on. She lashes out again at him, asking if that's it, just a pat on the head and move on. She says she doesn't give a damn how late they are. He mentions that he's a psychiatrist here and says that he's patient, but only in the office. His wife asks him if she will be there. And then uh, she tells him how she knows that he's cheating on her and she's going to find out who it is. Uh, let me take a moment here. This is Estelle and Otis Vorl. Yeah. Uh Jennifer Jordan playing Estelle and Jake Teague playing Dr. Otis. Yes, old Jake. Is this mustache real? Uh, I don't know. It looks kind of fake, but that might just be the way they curl it up at the ends. <laughs> it just doesn't look... It looks like it's attached to his lip, but not, like, coming, growing from it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. It's at this point that he makes the comment that she sounds like a patient and it's unattractive. Yeah. It's a, definitely a memorable line from the yeah. scene. <laughs> we cut to some shots of a skyline and then we see the party. There's a lot of candles on tables and a ton of people standing around and chatting. Uh, the camera pans around the party to kind of establish it. I did catch uh, Arbola is there. He's talking about Fellini. Oh, okay. Which may or may not have been in your version of the film. I might have missed that. I don't remember. I remember a man sleeping in a chair. <laughs> so Frances is walking around. She's the hostess of the party. Frances is played by Crystal Sink. Mm-hmm. It's not a good name. No, not really. It's Crystal Sink, so what? <laughs> I'm going to wash my hands in it. I'm pissing it when I've had too many beers. <laughs> I don't care what it's made out of. Frances is chatting with another woman who brings up that she heard that her sister Karen was staying with Frances, and uh, Frances notes that Karen's not feeling well. That's why she's upstairs resting. We cut from there to a shadowy room and see the back of a woman in a rocking chair. We hear more chit-chat around the party, and uh, Frances is talking to Don, her husband. Uh, Don is... Jeffrey Hurst. Yes. He asks if Karen's going to honor them with her presence, and Frances reiterates that she's not feeling well. She suggests that Don talks to Mr. Prescott, who owns some foundation, and apparently he wants to get some money from him. The uh, specifics around which are not really addressed. That's okay. It sounds boring. Uh... Don then asks when Otis and Estelle, who are the people from the opening scene, are going to show up. He wants to talk to Otis privately. She seems a bit taken aback by this. It's at that point that the doorbell rings and Otis and Estelle show up. Don answers the door and makes some joking comment about them being late, and Otis and Estelle just start bickering immediately. Otis says that it's her time of the month and then tells Don that he really needs a drink. He pours almost a whole glass of clear liquor, like a pint glass. Um, yeah, he, yeah, I think it's vodka or something. Yeah, something gin. like vodka that. Vodka or gin. But he's having a whole lot. Yeah. 
Don says that he wants to talk to Otis before he gets trashed, and Don explains that Karen has been with them for weeks but hasn't talked once. Otis jokes that she may be a mute, but Don says he's serious. Then we cut to Francis and Estelle talking. Estelle's sure that her husband is cheating and says it must be some 19-year-old with huge tits. Don tells Otis that Francis spends all of her time with Karen. Don says he thinks Karen needs a psychiatrist, but Francis says no. She's worried that somebody's going to find out that somebody with their family's reputation uh, is having crazy problems, I guess. Yeah, she doesn't want to send them to the the booby hatch because uh, they're a very the Comptons are a very prestigious family. Yes. Spilled beer on myself if you wondered what I was doing over here. <laughs> this beer can was too full. Like, it's up at the top. There was no area, like, a, you know, you get the lip yeah. kind of area. It wasn't in there. Life's complicated sometimes. My cup runneth over. <laughs> Don suggests that Otis talks to Karen, and Otis says he'd like to, so they get back to partying for now. Otis then creeps up behind Frances and grabs her ass. She runs off into another room and Otis then creeps up behind her and grabs her tits. Frances tells him to cut it out and let her think. She apparently thinks that Estelle knows that Otis and uh, Frances have a thing going on. She hasn't figured that out yet. She's not that smart. She isn't. She thinks she has big old tits, but Francis just has normal sized tits. <laughs> right. It's just her friend. Yeah. Not some 19 year old. Yeah, not some bimbo. But uh, because Otis is getting all grabby here, Francis tells him to leave, and she tells him that an affair is not like a marriage. It eventually ends. So she tells Otis not to ruin the party. And uh, she walks to the doorway and he sits down. She comes back in and apologizes, saying she doesn't want to hurt him. We then cut later to Francis and Don in their bedroom. Don's laying down and asks Francis, How long has this affair been going on? Francis acts like she has no idea what he's talking about and then says Otis is one of her oldest friends, to which Don says, that proves it. You knew exactly who I was talking about. She says that proves nothing. She says Otis just had a little too much to drink. And then she changes the subject with Don about Mr. Prescott. Don stops her and says that he doesn't want to talk about business. Don then tells Francis that she's a cock-stirring woman. Yeah. To which she says that he's disgusting. He asks if it's disgusting that he finds her so attractive. Then he says, come make love to me, you wench. Yes. And then it's my turn, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, what happens next for you? Get a little hanky-panky? We really don't see much. Uh, Francis... Tells Don, all right, let's get this over with. And Don asks if that's the way to talk to her husband who wants to cherish her. She says that she knows that he just uses sex to avoid talking about things. And basically from there we cut to Karen 
uh, rocking in the dark, and then back to Francis and Don arguing again. Okay. Well, on this scene, uh, Francis, uh, she rides her husband, Cowgirl. Uh, Don's balls, I noted, are kind of lopsided. <laughs> she has nice, smallish breasts with very severe tan lines. Um, from there, they transition to Doggy, and they're having a pretty good time. Uh, in this position, his loose ball skin is glaring. Don <laughs> uh, also has a very hairy back and shoulders, and then he mixes it up with some uh, from the side action. And then Francis says a, a boner killer, a boner killing line about having a baby. Um, and I said there was on average too much baby talk in this sex scene because they kind of trade lines back and forth a bit. Uh, in the end, they decide not to make a baby, and he blows his load in her bush, and she smears it around. And you can also see her watch tan line on her wrist. <laughs> nice. Yes. And that was that sex scene. So from here we see Don talking about how having Karen there is like having a monster in the attic. He says that they're running out of excuses for her. Francis said that she promised her parents that she'd take care of Karen. Don says that the best thing to do for her now is to get her help. And he also notes that Otis agreed with him. Don says she may need to be hospitalized, and Francis says she won't have anyone connected to the Compton family hospitalized. I told you. Don says she needs to be reasonable. Francis says she is reasonable. She's just tired. Karen's just tired. I don't think so. I don't think she's being reasonable. She says that Karen's going to the beach house for a week, and Don suggests that maybe she shouldn't be alone. And boy, is he right. I think that line might have been missing. Cause I thought it seemed to me in the hardcore cut, it seemed like she ran away from home. I couldn't figure out for a long time why no one was looking for her. Right. But then there's like some dialogue, I guess, that didn't get cut out that explains that they knew she was there. Well, it's still weird because as they're having this conversation, we see her packing her bags and yeah. stuff. So. It still seems like she snuck out, but they were expecting her to go anyway, according to this dialogue. So yeah. I think it might just be a kind of a rough spot narratively. I think so. Don notes that Karen's just been getting worse since she's been there. Don says he wants them to be happy again and says that Karen is the problem, but it's not her fault. They just need to get her some help. She asks if it's been that hard on him, and he says it has. She notes it's been a long time, and uh, they make out some more. Uh, and Yeah, at, at this point, we see Karen take off with her suitcase, as I said she was packing. We then see some shots of the shore, a beach, and waves crashing on it, and Karen's walking around with her suitcase. She spots the beach house and stops to get a look at the ocean and then sits down in the sand right where the waves are lapping up, opening up her suitcase. She rummages a bit and then runs into the waves where she sees her doll getting thrown around in the water. Uh, then it basically just disappears off the shore. 
She sits back on the shoreline as the waves are coming up at her, and it's at this point that we start to hear a bunch of voices and distorted sounds playing over the track. The voices. The voices. She finally runs toward the beach house, and we see the waves come up and consume her suitcase. Yeah. It's completely gone now. And all her clothes belong to the sea. She walks around the beach house a bit and couldn't open the door, so she keeps looking for ways to get in through the windows and doors, and finally she forces the main door open and gets inside. This is also why I thought she had run away. Yeah. You think she she would have a key. Right. She wanders around and turns on some lamps and lights and pulls the curtains shut. She lays her head down on the table in there. We cut to Francis in bed. She's using the phone to call Otis at his office. She thanks him for some flowers that he apparently sent her, which seems like a little inappropriate, at least uh, out in the open. Yeah. But uh, Francis asks if Otis and Estelle can come over later, but uh, says emphatically if he doesn't drink too much. He apologizes again, and she says not to worry about it, but Don and Francis need his help. It's about Karen. We then see Karen with a knife peeling an orange to spooky music. She walks down a staircase, and as she continues to walk through the house, we hear more distorted voices and sounds. Francis tells Otis on the phone that she loves her husband and hopes he understands that. She then says that they'll see Otis and Estelle around five. Plans being made on the screen. Excellent. Everyone (laughs) wants to talk about Karen, but no one ever actually gets around to really talking about her. (laughs) This film's like a lot of, like, just people uh, beating around the bush. Uh, A better title for this would be, We Need to Talk About Karen. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a fine, fine film. Karen continues to explore the beach house rooms, and we hear uh, distorted voices and weird sound effects overlaid. Then we cut to her in the shower. We see water splashing, and she looks forward and sees a man with a knife stabbing toward her, but he keeps disappearing and reappearing. Yeah. Apparently indicating he's some sort of illusion. Yeah, I think a hallucination. Yes. The word you're searching for. He's not a magic trick. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. She leaves the bathroom in a robe and walks away backwards from the room, startled, and goes back up the stairs. She's backing away more as a, a guy reaches out and startles her. It's Michael Gaunt. He's the guy from the power company, Larry. Yeah, Larry the Lineman. Yes, Larry Lineman. He was apparently working on the lines as linemen do. Yeah. He notes that her door was wide open, so he was checking to see if the power was on. She is extra startled now. She was already startled, and now she's double startled. She has a knife. She uh, is indeed holding a knife in her hand. Larry assures her that she doesn't have to be afraid and tells her to get her clothes on and they can talk. He says he gets paid by the hour, after all. He asks if she has food and offers to get some sent to her from the mainland, so apparently this is on an island of some sort. Yeah, it's Fire Island. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where it is. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's where the, they shot it. Excellent. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that's why I kept talking about Boys in the Sand. Oh, yeah. It all adds up now. This is not the house from Boys in the Sand. No, it's not the same house. It's, it's just the same island. It's, a, it's an uglier house. It has these windows that are like anchors. <laughs> like there's like these like porthole windows. Windows. <laughs> these porthole windows with uh, these big wooden anchors that are kind of like built so the window is in like the anchor latch hole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty tasteless. <laughs> pretty gaudy he introduces himself to her as larry she continues to grip the knife close to her as he goes through her fridge and her cabinets he says that she can't live without food and then suggests that maybe this isn't her place maybe she just came in off the beach he notes that it's none of his business he says she doesn't have to be afraid and says look at you you're shivering you must be ice cold he offers to let her wear his hat, noting that uh, the hat's where all your heat escapes. Yeah. The head. Yeah, you're 10% warmer when you wear a hat. Yes. Yeah. She continues to grip the knife as he sits down, and he tells her that that's okay. She can hold the knife if she wants, but tells her not to cut herself. She finally introduces herself, kind of stammering. She's Karen. He jokes about how someone walking in may get the wrong idea about them as they sit there and talk. He says he's just going to be like her brother and protector. He starts talking about going to a beach house when he was young and mentions he dreamed of having a big one like this one that they were in. His voice is slowly drowned out as he's talking by distorted voices as Karen's watching him. Mm-hmm. She then throws open her robe, and Larry tells her to settle down and says he was just trying to be like her brother and said he's never taken advantage of a woman in distress and isn't going to start to now. She asks, what's wrong, Larry? Certainly a big stud like you can't be afraid of a little girl like me. He says, first you were hot, then you were cold. She says she's still a woman. He then appears to be fingering her, and she's into it. We, of course, don't see anything explicit. He is fingering her pretty hard. He goes two to three fingers deep, and oh. I'm like, wow, he's going to end up with a whole fist inside of her. <laughs> he's, um, he does say at one point, I don't feel like your brother anymore. He does say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he really fingers her for a while on these nice cushions. From that chair they're on. Yeah. They were on these beautiful white cushions. And there's a, uh, a theremin that haunts the scene. Yes. And I was worried Michael Knott was going to lose his whole hand inside of her. <laughs> but he doesn't. And then, in my version, we jump cut to a big Goodyear blimp. Because this yes. film is sponsored by Goodyear. Yep. And uh, on the roof tops we see otis who's watching the goodyear blimp and uh he's there with estelle francis and don estelle can't help herself but to be super catty and angry otis talks about how his alma mater wants him to give a lecture on breasts 
<laughs> Francis asks if he's suddenly a sex expert, and he goes on blaming stock market falls and rises on uh, breasts and how societies have been built on them and everything. Oh, yeah. Is that what he's going to teach at the college? Uh, I guess so. He's going to get canceled. <laughs> Pretty Maybe darn not in quick. 1977. Maybe not. I don't know. Even then, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like he might have had some trouble with that one. The same thing would have happened to him as it would have happened now, or some weird like right-wing think tank would have just like scooped him up, and he would have just kept <laughs> making money. So let him, let him say all his crazy stuff about breasts. He's going to be okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. This scene is very windy yeah. on the roof, so I have to imagine it's all post-dubbed. Probably. Because I can't imagine the sound, like, miking them. Yeah, yeah. And that much wind and it sounding okay. It would be very swishy. Probably, yeah. She should have just not filmed until it wasn't as windy. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's not how film production schedules work. Sometimes you gotta wait for the wind to be a little less. Not when you have, like, three grand to shoot a film. That's why you don't waste the film until it's not windy. I could have made it, this movie. Maybe <laughs> I will make this movie. But Gaffer's completely... My Gaffer wouldn't fuck off. <laughs> Wait, he might. My Golem's left. Your Golem's left and your Gaffer's already... He's got one foot out, out with the, your lead girl. He's got one foot out the door. <laughs> Everyone leaves. Oh. <laughs> we cut back to Karen and Larry. Karen sits up and Larry says it's his turn now. And he tells Karen to lay back. She's resistant and uh, he then forces her down. Yes. She says she doesn't want to and cries out, but Larry keeps at it as she whimpers. He's on top of her, and we see her arm reach up and uh, pause as it's holding a knife still. And uh, she starts to stab him repeatedly in the back. Yes. There's not a ton of hardcore sex in this mm -hmm. part. There's some, you know, some old in and out. But the most important difference is that he dies coming. Oh. He gets stabbed, and there's just rope shooting out oh wow that's yeah. that's something good. that i'm really missing out on in yeah. the r-rated version yeah it's very good um there's also once he gets stabbed there's blood around his mouth in some shots and not in others <laughs> <laughs> i think that might be the same in this one as well probably it's just something i i noticed we go back to the rooftop party, and Otis says, based on what he knows so far, Karen's situation doesn't seem to be too serious. He says that he can recommend a top man in the field to work with her. Frances says she hasn't agreed to any of this yet, and Don is more insistent with her, and finally Frances agrees, seemingly bowled over by this. But uh, we cut back to the beach house, where... Uh, Karen probably does have something serious wrong with her. Yeah. We see it's raining outside, and then we see a woman with an umbrella run up to the door of the beach house and start knocking. It's Marlene Willoughby. Yes. We cut back inside, and Karen's laying next to Larry's body with her arm over him, almost cuddling. 
Karen's startled by the banging on the door and tense music starts to play. The woman outside, the nosy neighbor, continues to knock on the door and yell hello. This would drive me insane. I would want to go outside and be Karen violent with her. Yeah, Karen might not be so different. This woman just keeps banging on the doors, starts yelling about how the lights are on and... She knows somebody's in there, and it's so wasteful, but she just keeps banging and banging and banging on the door and won't go away. She kind of wanders off, I think, for a minute or two, but uh, I gotta say, she's the real Karen. She really is. She came across the beach in the rain to complain about (laughs) someone else's lights being on. Right. Uh, Great, annoying character. Yes. (laughs) We see Karen pull Larry's pants onto him as she keeps banging on the door. She moves the body around and pulls it out onto the deck outside. The woman outside starts talking about how the lights are on in the middle of the day and talking about how everyone's selfish and asks if they've ever heard about the energy crisis. <laughs> she says that she's going to have wor- a word with those people and finally she leaves. We cut back to Don, Francis, Otis, and Estelle who are inside, and Otis is playing piano, and they're all singing. Yeah, they're singing a song about rolling out the barrel. Uh, yes. Which is what Karen's doing. Karen continues to drag Larry down to the beach level and eventually deposits him. I wasn't sure where it was. I thought it might have been under a dock or something, but it's actually under the uh, walkway around the beach house. Yeah, yeah, it's like under the deck deck area. Yeah. Do you think they're being purposefully ineffective, the the, the group? (laughs) It it almost seems like it. It's like almost comedic when you cut to them and they're having like a sing-along instead of like... At this point, when I was watching it, I still thought she had run away. Right. And, like, and they didn't know where she was, and this is what they were doing. And I'm like, what is going on? Uh, it's still kind of bonkers that it's going on anyway, but it makes more sense. They're so ineffective that it just becomes, becomes kind of comic. Right. Which I don't know if that's necessarily what Roberto was going for. Right. But that's what she achieves. Yes. Karen ends up cuddling with Larry's body under the deck, but we see Francis and Don bickering with each other, and Estelle tells them to stop fighting like a real hypocrite, because all she's been doing is yelling this whole movie. Yeah. Estelle asks how she can have company without feeding them, and Francis finally offers to make them food. Again, Estelle being a real bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's demanding to be fed. We see Karen in the shower again. This time she's seemingly playing with herself. Mm-hmm. And uh, she starts to flash back into earlier the day with her and Larry. She keeps saying things like, it's so good, that's nice, that's warm, and laughing. Uh, do you do you see her masturbate in this scene? You do see her masturbate quite a bit. Okay. She is laying down in the shower and blocking up the drain and the <laughs> shower is getting all flooded oh yeah yeah she's been laying there so long and i was like it's gonna flood over <laughs> it's gonna make a real mess <laughs> um and that's my report on that 
we get a cutaway shot of kids playing on the beach and then cut back inside where Karen's in bed and she's rubbing her crotch through her nightgown. We hear a knock at the door and it's that damn nosy neighbor again. She said she saw a light on and had to investigate and uh, Karen actually answered the door here. That's the important piece to this. Yes. So yeah, she starts to talk about how she saw the light on and had to investigate. She says she checks every house in the neighborhood and keeps ranting and asks if Karen's alright, but she doesn't give her a chance to respond. She notes that Karen's alone and uh, says that her husband always said, A woman alone is like a foot without a shoe. She starts showing herself around the house and looking at everything. (laughs) Uh, opening curtains and rambling on and on, telling about how everybody needs to conserve energy and uh, takes a light bulb yeah, out of a lamp. Just stealing light bulbs. This woman is insane, and she, yeah, she better never come to my house. She She's going to get the Karen treatment. She does not stop talking. Uh, she asks Karen if she has friends to stay with her, and Karen says no. She asks, you're not talkative, are you? And she says, no. The woman notices that there's no food and asks if she's a Compton. She notes that she doesn't look like the Comptons. And Karen explains that Frances is her stepsister. And the woman says that explains it. She finally introduces herself as Fanny and asks Karen's name. Uh, But Karen doesn't respond. Fanny asks if she's ill. We hear a dark music cue, and uh, Karen starts to rub her chest through her gown. Karen circles around Fanny and kind of walks her towards the glass doors and kind of pins her against it. Karen starts yelling and asks if uh, Fanny wants to know how her cunt feels because it's on fire. It needs to be fucked. Fanny is uh, tripping over herself, trying to scramble away. Karen kisses her, and then Fanny opens the glass door and makes it to the deck, where uh, Karen follows her out and grabs her scarf and then dangles her off the edge of the deck, uh, choking her with the scarf and ending her. Yeah, she dies. Yeah, she drops her off of the deck. And laughs. And laughs. And laughs and she laughs. says, wanted to see the house? Ha 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 ha! We cut back to town and Francis is cutting some food. Um, Don says he got good news from Prescott. They're going to move to England as soon as they can. Francis asks, what about Karen? Don asks if she's made an appointment for Karen yet, and she hasn't. Don says they need to decide if they're going to commit Karen or let her live on her own. Says if they can't do one of those things, then they'll have to turn down the job. Oh, no. Frances finally says she's going to make a call to take care of it. So, they haven't even done, like, the very first step of trying to arrange an appointment Mm -mm. for their uh, mentally ill stepsister or whatever. Right. No, they have not done... Like I said, the whole thing is just them getting to the point where they're going to have the conversation about doing something. <laughs> right. Uh, meanwhile, things have gotten a bit off the rails. Yeah. Um, in my version, there's a sex scene here. Oh, yeah. There's uh, none of that. Well, we cut to Dawn and 
Fran, and they're in a very nice-looking bathtub, and it's got like, mirrored walls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you can, like, see everything, and you can see, like, all of Dawn's, like, hair and stuff from all <laughs> kinds of different angles, and Fran is blowing him, and she has to suck up soap bubbles while she's sucking his dick. That seems difficult. Yeah, and she does it for a while, and then eventually he comes a lot. <laughs> Good. Yeah, and that's really about the extent of that scene. Nothing much else happens there. All right. Back at the beach house, we see Karen sitting there, and the phone's ringing. She doesn't answer it. We see Francis on the other end, and she asks where Karen could be at that time of the night. We then see Karen wandering around the beach house more, hearing stuff. She sees part of a face in the light in the shadows. Yeah. And uh, then we cut to the next day, and she's sitting on a dock with her legs dangling. She scuttles around the beach a bit, and we hear the phone ringing in the beach house more and more. But uh, as it's ringing, Karen's at the shoreline, digging in the sand and messing around. Uh, and then she starts to drink ocean water. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she loves it. She can't get enough of that stuff. She hears more voices and sounds and seems obviously startled. She puts her hands over her ears and seems to be mouthing things as the waves continue to crash on her. We see the phone ringing in the beach house again. Francis on the other end tells Estelle that she's worried. Karen hasn't answered in two days. Estelle assures her that she shouldn't worry based on what Otis said. At this point, we cut to a guy and a gal on a boat. Yes, they're on this boat. One thing, I don't know if Karen did it in your film when she's just being kind of weird mm -hmm. on the beach as she spreads her arms out and like just runs up and down the beach like a plane. Oh, I do think she did that, yeah. yes. Like a little aeroplane. Yes. Um, on the boat, I don't really... They don't introduce these characters at no, all. No, they don't. Uh, we they get, don't have... I don't, do they have names? I don't think they're in the credits. I don't think so either. <laughs> or maybe, like, the girl is, is, like, girlfriend on boat. There's, there's a credit for Tom's girlfriend. Okay, yeah, so he must be Tom. Uh, there is no Tom, Tom credit, though. No, he's no one. But, uh, yeah, the Tom's girlfriend is Clea Carson. Great. They fuck on the boat. Yeah, we see on the R-rated version, we see her wearing a sweater over her bikini. But they uh, stop the boat, which they're speeding with at first. She takes off her sweater and then her bikini top under it. There's this song about the country boy blues playing. Yeah, we get that too. Uh, they lay down on the boat and kiss, and that's all we get from them on the boat, other than them talking afterwards, I guess. They do some some you know some pretty basic sexual maneuvers. She blows them for a while, do a little doggy style. Uh, I can't remember if there's a wet shot in this scene, <laughs> um, but at first I wasn't sure who this was, and I thought it was karen for about a minute because i wasn't really paying that much attention right uh so i was like why are they on this boat and i was like <laughs> where did this boat man come from why isn't anything in this film set up properly so that's about 
I didn't take very detailed notes okay. on that sex scene. I apologize. Yeah. There, we, there wasn't much to it. Yeah, we basically cut to Karen, and we get a couple softcore shots of them, but we go back to them after their sexual encounter. The woman says that they should go to the shore. She wants food, and he complains, asking if that's what it's going to be like when they get married. <laughs> I don't have any of that. I don't have any of them bitching about going to shore. He uh, finally caves and says, let's go. So we get back to Karen, and she's at the beach house. We see the couple taking a picnic basket onto the beach. The beach house phone continues ringing, and we see Karen wrapped in a sheet heading down to the beach. The couple's making out, and, and the woman stops him, saying, Come on, we just did that. Besides, I'm cold. In the middle of a public beach, do you want us to get arrested? I don't have any of that either. That's beautiful. Um, I think one thing I did forget is during their sex scene on the boat, I think it's intercut with some scenes of... Uh, Karen touching herself on the beach. Oh, okay. So there's some of that, too, that I, I kind of written as part of a different note. Interesting. It's very interesting. It's interesting what Roberta saw fit to leave in and fit to cut out. <laughs> what do you think that is about porn films when they have an X and an R cut, and then the X cut is almost just kind of nonsensical because they just chop so much plot? I don't know. I think there's kind of like a formula for how much sex they want in a hardcore film yeah. and like ha how many and when and all of that. Yeah. So I imagine it's just like, like just Roberta kind of considers the, can. yeah, yeah. Roberta Finley considers the R rated version, the director's cut mm -hmm. of it. So I assume that the film, the way she likes it is that, and then yeah. basically she just cut away at that to slap the sex scenes in. Yeah, her, uh, the way she describes, like, the she doesn't like shooting sex too much. Right. Uh, the way she describes it, like, her, like, style when she does that, is that everything else she, like, meticulously sets up, and mm -hmm. which, for better or for worse, I guess, on that. But then for the sex stuff, she just tells them to start screwing and then just wanders around them with the camera trying to get the most interesting angles that she can. Right. But it, I did kind of notice that, and it, this does seem to have less of the, uh, like, people having sex for the camera kind of angles. Yeah, yeah. It's not, like, super naturalistic, but it's not as, like, stylized as some of it gets. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess it, it works and it don't. <laughs> when it works, it works, and when it don't, it don't. Karen prowls around the perimeter of the beach house a bit, and then finally the guy on the beach points at the beach house and says, How about we do it there, then? The woman says the lights are on, but he tells her that that's just an optical illusion. That wasn't my film. That wasn't my version. So she agrees to go, and he says it's probably abandoned. They won't mind. I gotta say... Like, everyone who shows up at this house assumes it's really isolated, but it's just crawling with people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we see Karen watching them from inside as they approach the house, and they knock on the door a bit before letting themselves in. He asks if anybody's there, and there's no answer, so they end up sitting down on a bed near the door that they came in through, and the guy pulls the woman towards him. 
He says, when we get married, we'll have a bed just like this to make love in. We'll make babies every year. She says, wait one fat minute. And then he says, okay, every other year. She says she's never made love in an abandoned house before and says it's kinky. It's pretty kinky. But uh, as they're goofing around and having fun, we see Karen prowling around and she grabs a fire poker. Yes. Um, Tom's girlfriend is uh, blowing him in the stranger's bed. Uh, it's all right. Uh, they fuck for a bit. Mm-hmm. And I note that it's not vigorous, very vigorous or exciting. But I do make sure to note that it is the second time, so them having less energy is understandable. That's fair. Yes. We then see Karen sneak in, and she starts to wail on them with the fire poker. Oh, yeah. she In that, for in the X version, he gets to come first, but it's really watery. <laughs> fair enough. And then she wails on them with the fire poker. Yes. As we do this, we get a bunch of cutaways to the bodies, but they're in different positions in the different cutaways. Yeah, I like it. It's nice. They're very bloodied. Yes, they are covered in blood. We hear the phone ringing in the beach house again, and then Karen finally answers it. Uh, apparently, it's a call from somebody at the power company wanting to know where the power guy went. <laughs> she tells them that he was there a few days ago and left. She says that she hopes they find him. She hangs up and walks out of the beach house, but as soon as she hangs up, the phone starts ringing again, and it was Francis on the other end, and uh, again, she can't get a hold of Karen. It's at this point that she finally says that she thinks something is wrong. (laughs) Don tells her if something's wrong, what could she even do? (laughs) So Don asks Estelle if she thinks that she could get Otis to bring Karen back to the city. Uh, she thinks that that's a good idea, but she postulates if she can get a hold of him and gets really snippy on the phone with his secretary in the next scene. <laughs> we cut to Karen on the beach, and immediately Otis walks up to her. Uh, that was fast. Yeah, he gets there quick, and she's drinking more seawater. <laughs> Otis is trying to connect with her. And says that she must like being alone. After a minute of them kind of being awkward around each other, he suggests that they go back to the house and she can talk to him there. He leads her back to the beach house and they head up the stairs in the house and she pulls away from him and then he's able to lead her on a bit and she pulls away from him again and he brings her a bit further in. He finally gets her to lay on the couch and sits in a chair across from her. She starts to sob a bit and asks Otis for help. She insists she's not crazy. She says that she loved a man and he left her and she's been depressed and so, so, so tired. She says that she needs to feel a man's arms around her. She says, love me, Otis. Otis then sits on the couch next to her and pulls her towards him, embracing her. He says that... He told her family that she was okay and says that he knows what it's like to be lonely. Karen asks Otis if he thinks she's attractive. She tells him not to think of her as a patient. Otis says she's very attractive. Then says to let him prove how attractive she is. Yeah. And uh, he kisses her. She starts talking about them having a holiday together. And says it's exciting to think about. 
Otis says that he could never do this if she was a patient, but this is different because she's not mentally ill. No, she's fine. Uh, I'm not sure this is how this works at all. No. Also, he says to he's me, he's not a very good. He's not very good at his job. No. Uh, another example of that is he says to me, "You're just Karen, lovely, desirable woman." <laughs> they kiss more and fall down onto the couch. They make love. Otis tells her it'd be better if they kept this to themselves. We see Karen's upper body writhing as she says, That's right, Otis. That's the way. I think he's going down on her. Yes. And he eats her out for a while in this one. And then Karen begins to blow him. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, and his mushroom cock thrusts at the screen as she sucks it from the side. <laughs> um, it's then that Otis mounts her missionary style and gives her a sensible pounding. Uh, then he rolls her over for some doggy. And it is this angle that Roberta uses to reveal a large sore on the back of Karen's thigh. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Uh, and then he comes. And that's it for Otis, more or less. We see them sitting around afterwards, and Otis says he can't understand why Francis was so upset. Says that Karen seems perfectly normal to him. But then he tells her he can't hang around all day and says that he needs to report back to Francis that her sister's okay. So he tells Karen that he'll get a shower and asks if she could make some coffee. She stops him as he tries to walk away, and he tells her he's got to get going. Estelle's making dinner. He says that Karen can leave with him if she wants. She starts to plead with him not to go as he walks away, and she collapses on the floor in frustration. We then see Otis in the shower, and Karen seething on the floor in the other room. Uh, then we watch her yank the electrical cord out of a lamp and examine it with her hands. We hear Otis cry out for Karen to bring him a towel because he got soap in his eyes. She smiles and we see Karen walk in. She he can't just wash the soap out of his eyes. No, he needs a, he needs a towel. towel. He's a big fucking baby. <laughs> so we see Karen walk into the room and she plugs the uh, plug end of the cord into the outlet. Yes. And then she just hands the exposed wires to Otis. Very... He grabs them and shakes violently. Yeah, it's a pretty low budget electrocution. Yeah. Uh, the one in the haunted pussy was better. <laughs> it was, yes. There was a big explosion and then he jerked all about. <laughs> but uh, he dies. Yeah, he's dead. So we cut back to the beach, and now Francis is out there walking around. We cut to Karen, who is under the deck of the beach house with uh, Larry's body again. Francis continues towards the house, and we see Karen sitting in a wicker chair inside. Francis walks in and calls out to Karen, who doesn't answer. She starts to look around and continues to call Karen's name, opening doors and peeking into rooms. We see her open a door and Karen sitting in a chair there. Francis tries to talk to Karen, but she doesn't respond. 
she starts asking her about Otis, and Karen again is silent and doesn't respond. Frances then offers to help Karen pack so that they can go back to the city, but she notices that she doesn't have any clothes there. She finally says, well, we'll just leave then, and uh, then Karen says, no, I can't leave my friends. I won't leave them and runs off. Frances asks who she's talking about. We see Karen running out of the beach house, and Frances chases her, and uh, they end up under the deck of the beach house, where Karen is embracing the power guy's body. Karen yells for Francis to stay away. They're her friends. They love her. Francis then sprints off and runs inside. She opens the bathroom door and sees Otis dead on the ground and screams. Then she runs into the bedroom with the couple from the boat bloodied in bed and screams again. We cut back to Karen hanging out with the body under the deck. Francis grabs the phone and asks the operator to connect her to the police. Outside, we see Karen walking on the beach, out from under the deck, towards the shoreline. We see her walking towards the waves. We cut back to Francis, who falls on the ground, crying inside. And then uh, Karen walks into the ocean as the waves slam into her. Then we get another shot of the waves breaking against the shore. And the end. Yes, she's gone to join her luggage. Yes, she has. <laughs> and uh, that was a woman's torment. That was my torment. It indeed was. So let's take a break, and then we'll be back to talk about, uh, well, more about a woman's torment. Okay. back on the raincoat report and uh, i'm drinking a watered down coke okay i was trying to figure out why you were making those faces yeah it's not good it tastes like the cardboard it's in (laughs) all right well um with the taste of cardboard in your mouth why don't you tell us what you think about a woman's torment i think we should leave women alone they've been through enough But besides that, I thought this was a pretty good movie. I like that it's basically just a hardcore version of Repulsion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my uh, uh, Currently my favorite Polanski film, I would suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's a Good choice. Thank you. It's a delightful romp through a, a woman's psyche and several riding bodies. Yes. And so is this film. Yeah. The key element that's different is Roberta Findlay. Yes. Um, and well, I could say her psychology is no less twisted than Roman Polanski's. Her uh, means are certainly less. Yes. So what we have here is a lower budget version of that tale mixed with some hardcore sex that 
almost seems to be more of an kind of an afterthought than something that belongs to the film itself as right. the existence of the R-rated film uh, kind of attests to. Right. So I think that having not seen the R-rated version, but hearing Boss's account of it, there are a couple passages that uh, the addition of probably would have helped this one along some more. Uh, so I think it suffers from a lot of the same problems that films with two cuts tend to suffer in that the stuff, the connective stuff that makes up what you're seeing around the sex makes sense is gone in, uh, in service to getting an extra scene where someone's getting blown in a bathtub. Right. Uh, one of the things that she said during the Q and a about this is that they made, I think three full films, like while they had this house rented at uh, Fire <laughs> Island, and they made like an entire fourth one out of just like extra stuff. Oh yeah, there's a movie I saw that was called The Beach House. That might be it. Where it it was one of the uh, few credits for the lead in this film. I recall seeing it. it was Beach House, and it was like archival footage or whatever. Yeah, and, uh, I think that's what it is. Um, as a psychological pornographic horror film i think it's mostly successful right you get what you want out of it with some of the uh like the psycho repulsion repulsion style killings right um you get a good amount of sex and a good amount of blood i will say that i think while it's a good idea the film itself is pretty underdeveloped it seems like even in the r-rated versions yeah there's not much depth to uh Karen or her torment. Unfortunately, right. uh, you're not really sure of the causes of it or anything along those lines that kind of help you get some motivation for why she does what she does. She just hears voices. Right. Um, and that's fine. I guess that, that's good enough for 1977. Uh, I will say that mm -hmm. when she's talking to Otis, she says something about how, uh, she loved a man and he left her. Okay, so uh, that, which that's her torment. Perhaps she could also be lying. She could be. I When you said that part, I was thinking that she was talking about Larry, to be honest. Oh, that could be too. Yeah, it's tough to say because she's not in a... She's got a... She's loopy. She's, she's got, got a screw few, loose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this film, uh, the plot ends up kind of middling in the x-rated version just to kind of be in service to the sex right but that said i think the film looks really good um it's definitely a big improvement over altar of lust in terms of uh settings and attractive characters <laughs> um just general production even just, though yeah. this is low budget this yeah, is definitely budget. bigger it's low budget, but it's low budget that's had some more experience behind it. And maybe just a little bit more money. Right, right. Um, do you know if it was filmed in like 35 millimeter or what? I am not sure. It looks really good. Uh, yeah. The film quality is really nice on it. I think uh, for it being like a low budget production, it looks really nice. Uh, I would probably end up at the end of the day giving it about a three and a half. There's a lot there to like, but there's some stuff that could have been improved on to have created a more cohesive and erotic vision of terror. 
Yeah, I could um, see that. So, I would say, you know, definitely check this one out. It's probably you know, pretty rare in the uh, genre of being a pretty decent piece of psychological horror uh, mixed with an adult film. I would say, compared to something like Memories Within Miss Aggie, it... Mm-hmm pills in comparison a bit but i don't really think that's very fair to compare damiano to uh roberta finley yeah they're coming from very different angles yeah uh, damiano was definitely more about getting the sex and having it be like a creative uh like integral part of the story right especially in memories within miss aggie where the entire thing takes place within those little vignettes that are her memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely give it a gander. What about you, boss? What do you think? Well, just to add, I looked it up, and uh, A Woman's Torment was shot on 35 millimeter. I've and seen so many movies now that I can tell what the film is. And uh, Sometimes. <laughs> and, yeah, Vinegar Syndrome's release was scanned from the original negative, so. Okay. So, yeah, it looks great. You're not going to... It's not like the last couple of films we've watched where <laughs> they've just been uh, almost an eyesore because they're so, like, old and just transferred from, like, VHS tapes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is definitely much better. So, I saw A Woman's Torment, like I said earlier, two or three years ago, and I had middling to negative feelings about it mm-hmm. um i think that it was just i went in expecting it to be more successful at either being a sex film or as being an exploitation murder film mm-hmm. and so overall i didn't i wouldn't say that i disliked it but i had kind of middling feelings about it yeah and so when we went to do this uh, for the show, I wasn't really looking forward to it very much. Mm-hmm. But watching the R-rated version, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, and perhaps I would feel the same about the hardcore version if I watched it now, because yeah. my perspective on adult film of the '70s was pretty fresh a few years ago, whereas now it is. Uh, You're jaded. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I think it's just more now I have more of an appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas then, I definitely did, but I had a lot less context, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really know much about Roberta Findlay and stuff, and that kind of makes it interesting as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I did really like watching this R-rated version of it. It works really well as just a weird exploitation murder film. Yeah, definitely. And, I, uh, you I know. could see where it would work probably better without, like, the sex scenes kind of breaking things up. Yeah, it definitely feels... It's got a pace to it, I guess. It's really mm-hmm. solid that probably isn't the case with the Ye- longer sex scenes. Yeah, it kind of... It hits that problem where sometimes in, like, an adult film where it'll just kind of, like, you hit the sex scene and everything just kind of comes to a halt for a bit. Right. Um, some some movies are good at mixing the sex in with the plot in a way that is a little less, I don't know, glaring or distracting or something like that. Right. 
uh, and some people just aren't as adept at that. Like I said in my review comparing Damiano to Finlay, but mm-hmm. even just other like full-time like porn directors, some of them are better at it and some aren't. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and just, you know, kind of mixing the two together in a way right. that uh, produces a satisfactory story that combines both elements. It's a tough balance. I think that's one of the more difficult things when trying to create an adult film. If, you know, if I was making a porn film, that would be one of the things that I thought about the most was just having the right sex to narrative ratio. Because I feel like most of the films that I don't like that much, that's the reason. Yeah. And there are plenty of films that I do kind of like or just generally like that I would like a lot more if they kind of stuck that better yeah but when it comes to uh a woman's torment uh the r-rated version flows really well and uh i feel like it probably makes more sense than the uh hardcore version yeah um just generally speaking because you know scratcher yeah (laughs) um you know, they took all that time for extra sex scenes and uh, plugged in more narrative. Or kind of, well, it's kind of the opposite. They just yeah. scraped out some of the narrative to make the sex scenes longer for the hardcore version. But regardless, in comparison, it's got more narrative and that probably helps the thing make more sense. But I think that it's really interesting to look at Roberta Finley's work on this because... If you take the sex out of it and just kind of look at it for what it is, it's a really pessimistic film. Yeah, you'd mentioned that the other day we talked about it. It kind of reminded me, and this is what I noted when I talked to you, it kind of reminded me a little bit of an Andy Milligan film. Yeah. Um, Not so much in that the characters are just screaming at each other the whole time, although there there is a bit of that. Yeah, the, the main group. The people who aren't Karen. The quartet. The quartet, yeah, are kind of just ineffectual, kind of bitchy people. Right. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we've got Karen who, you know, regardless of what put her on this path, uh, is having problems and can't get help. (laughs) Because the people she's relying on are too busy arguing with their spouses and getting jealous of each other and yeah, uh, minding their own business and spending much more time just talking about getting uh, somebody help and mm-hmm. not actually doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of a, a nightmare. Yeah. But... <laughs> it's a nightmare. But, uh, you know. It's a woman's torment. It is a woman's torment. It is indeed. So, all of that is just a roundabout way to say I enjoyed this much more than I did a few years ago when I watched it. Excellent. And uh, I would also give it three and a half stars. I think it's worth checking out. Mm -hmm. Um, It is just, it's an interesting project, and I think both versions are probably worth some attention. Yeah. Much like when I've thought about some of the other films that we've talked about that have different cuts that are more than just cutting out the sex scenes. Um, right. I think that there's probably like a hour and 45 minute version of this that could perhaps be the best of both worlds. I think so. I think that perhaps it would still kind of, or 
it would alter the pace adding in the extra sex stuff but it would probably still benefit from it but i feel like you could take out the sex scene where they're just fucking in the bath for no reason and just put all the narrative back in and <laughs> you'd probably be okay <laughs> that's fair yeah that was the only one that to me really felt like superfluous so <laughs> i was like why are they doing this what is going on in this film like shouldn't they be looking for this girl she's right. like a mentally ill not a minor but just a, just a she's out there alone like my golem Oh, and yeah. she needs help. So, if you're out there looking for your stepsister, looking for your golem on Fire Island, the wind's whipping at you, rain's hitting your face, and there's nothing to drink but salt water, don't forget your raincoat. 